Good morning and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. We are located in beautiful Uptown Columbus on the corner of 11th and 1st. We would love for you to join us for worship or just stop by and say hello. At First Presbyterian Church, we welcome you with grace and gratitude for God's love. Let us pray. God, as your word is read and proclaimed, I ask that you would open our hearts to your transforming spirit. Amen. The first lesson today is from Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 to 9. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people became impatient on the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent poisonous serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a poisonous serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who was bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it upon a pole, and whenever a serpent bit someone, the person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. The word of the Lord. Our second passage is taken from the Gospel of John. We are in John chapter 12, verses 20 through 32. John 12, 20 through 32. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Now, among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks, some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. 
The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Montreat, North Carolina is a conference center, Presbyterian Conference Center. It is a small town, and there is a small college there. I spent a lot of time growing up there in the summers, and we would almost always go for 4th of July. 4th of July for the summer season was the peak. It was the time you wanted to be there. It was very Norman Rockwellian in that on that 4th of July, everyone would gather in the middle of the city, the town, the conference center, and there would be a parade that would run through town. That would include really anybody who wanted to be in the parade. All of the groups of children who were there for the conference centers and others would gather and there would be a theme and everybody would come through and watch the parade. After the parade, there would be bagpipers, uh, drums. Uh, you would gather around the flagpole, sing Amazing Grace, say the pledge, do some prayers, and then you'd be done. Everybody would go home, cook their lunch, eat together, come back in the afternoon the afternoon was a series of games and events. There was hog calling. There was pie eating. There was hula hooping and other things of the sort. And then later that night would be the big square dance. That's right. The big square dance that was usually too big to fit in the barn would have to be on the tennis courts because everybody was there. And it was the place you wanted to be, even if you didn't square dance. It was a great day and one that is still important and special to me in my childhood and my adulthood. But one event I left out in the afternoon, the greasy pole climbing contest. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So right in the middle of Moore Center Field, they would take this big tree, strip it down, shave all the bark off of it so it was nice and slick, but oh no, not slick enough. They would grease the sucker up, Vaseline it from top to bottom, and then they would put it back in the ground. Actually, they probably put it back in the ground first and then Vaseline it up. But they would put envelopes with money on the side. The higher, the larger the denomination, the higher the money. And so everyone spent all afternoon trying to climb the grease pole. There were all kinds of different strategies. The way that you would link your hands and feet could be different. You didn't want to go first or in the first quarter because those were the ones who were, you know, eating all the Vaseline right off. You had to let them kind of pare it down first, get some of that down. You would cover yourself in dirt to create friction no shirt, no shoes, and service, yes. So they would put you there at the base, be all covered in dirt, and then two of the collegiate 
uh, summer staffers would take you. They would push you up about as far as they could, maybe five, six feet, and then they would step back and let you do your thing. Now that was the point where you had to work for it. They had already put you somewhat up the pole. You could see it up there and you could wiggle it, but it wouldn't come off. And you had to start fighting for it. And you could tell who were tree people and who were not, who grew up climbing trees and who did not. Well, my go at it was reflective of the fact that I did not grow up climbing strip trees with Vaseline on them. So I got up and I held on. I wasn't going to go down. So I started fighting, I started clawing, started scratching, and I'm making, you know, little inch, little inch, little bit, and it's right there, hanging. I can, I can touch it with the tip of my fingertip, that envelope right there. At this point, it doesn't matter how much is in it. You just want the prize. And I get it in my time, and you hear all, and I look down, and I see everybody. Come on, come on! We have a picture of me. You can count my ribs. I'm stretching so hard and so high, and I don't get it. I finally have to give up, and in defeat, I slink back to the ground. I could not make it on my own. I could not do it myself. In our passage today, it's a fascinating time. We are right before Jesus is entering Holy Week. Next week will be Palm Sunday. We will celebrate that here, as many will. Jesus riding the donkey into Jerusalem. And that week of teaching and last bits of wisdom and advice that he gives to those who were gathered, especially the disciples. And then the events of the Last Supper on Thursday, the horror and terror of Good Friday, and then the resurrection on Easter morning, the empty tomb. Those eyewitnesses that were there and saw it and bore witness to it all. But we're not there just yet. We are in our Lenten journey, and it's not too late to recommit yourself to this journey. You have a couple of weeks left. If you would, are in the practice of giving something up, you still have time to do that. But I would encourage you to do that and make sure that that is to help your relationship with Christ and not just you. You say, I'm going to lose 10 pounds for Jesus by Easter. Well, that is good for your health, but not necessarily going to bring you closer to Christ. The giving up is meant to be sacrificial, but not in a way that overtakes your life. It is to remind you that we are in a serious time and a serious journey. And that in some way you were showing God that you can give up something as a small sacrifice reflective of what God is giving through Christ. If that's not your thing, that's fine. Try flipping it over and taking something on. 
If you want to pray every day in a new way, do that. If you want to read scripture in a new way, do that. If you want to serve others in a new and a faithful or focused way, all of that is fine. At the end of the day, it's not about the law and exactly how you do it, but it's trying to get yourself closer to God and walking with Christ towards the cross. So the disciples are with Jesus and getting ready for the whole Passover events that will come. And they come to him. Well, first, it's the Greeks. The Greeks. They come and they recognize Philip. And they say, sir, we would like to see Jesus. Okay? And remember, Greeks were not of the house of Israel. They were not the home crowd. They were the Gentiles, that place, the people that we all would have been at that time. And Philip didn't necessarily know what these Greeks wanted. They didn't say, we want to go and pray with him or talk to him or what have you. And remember, as they're getting closer to Jerusalem, there are those that are seeking to do Jesus harm, seeking to do him harm. So they didn't know. What did these Greeks want? So Philip goes, and as it tells us, Philip finds Andrew and says, hey, these, this crew, they want to see Jesus. Well, what do they want? I don't know. What do they want? I don't know. Do we take it? I don't know. So the both of them go see Jesus, and they ask him directly, Jesus, these Greeks want to come see you. It's interesting. At this point, it kind of deviates. The Greeks never get to Jesus. Jesus never says, bring them on or keep them away. He kind of sighs at this point. <sighs> kind of see him shaking his head and says, my hour has come. This is it. The sign that these Greeks were coming was a sign to Jesus that his mission was near, that his hour was soon to come where he would be on the cross, the events of Holy Week. What he knew he must do was now coming forward. Now's my time. And then talk again about this grain, this seed, which is a recurring image throughout Scripture. That one solitary grain must hit the dirt and die. Well, we know that that's not what really happens unless I planted it and it's supposed to grow. But seeds that you plant and grains that you plant, they don't die, they transform. And then Jesus right away talks about that which will bear fruit and will let us know that that is a healthy plant, shrub, tree, 
Back to this image of bearing fruit also is one that is recurring. How did you know if a tree, a fruit tree was healthy? You had fruit. If you have a lemon tree that never has lemons, something's wrong. It's not doing what it was created to do. And in the faith realm, it is the same with us. We are meant to be these disciples who through Christ's initiation, through the gifts we've been given, we too bear fruit, but it looks a little different. It might be the people that we go and serve weekly who cannot serve themselves or maybe don't have food. It might be a group of people that we have called together to study scripture together. That is something you can point to as tangible ministry. That is fruit. Our church that we sit here, this is fruit. It is a sign of ministry. It is a sign of growth. And Jesus says again and again, not everything grows, not everything bears fruit. And he gets angry when he comes across fig trees and, and others that are not bearing fruit. So one of the questions for us in this Lenten journey is, are we and how are we bearing fruit as individual disciples and as a community of faith? How are we doing that or are we? If we're not bearing fruit, we might be just spinning our wheels. And Jesus wants more of that for us. And this is the time to recommit ourselves to doing so. So then after he speaks of the grain, those who love their life lose it, those who hate their life will keep it. Now my soul is troubled. Jesus Christ, our risen Lord and Savior, King of Kings, says, my soul is troubled. That is troubling. But remember, Jesus was human in every aspect. Remember that he was tempted. Remember that he laughed and he cried and he ate good food and he ate bad food. And he celebrated with his friends and he cried when they left him and he felt abandonment. He felt the pain of the cross. He's like us in that respect, those respects. Now it is time. My soul is troubled. For what should I say? No. Now that my time has come, should I say, no, God, I'm not going to obey your will? Kind of takes us back to Jesus and Peter. When Peter says, you are the Messiah. After Jesus says, who do they say that I am? Peter says, you're the Messiah, son of, son of God, son of man. And Jesus says, yes, you're right. On you, Peter, I will build my church The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And then right after that, Jesus tells Peter how he must suffer and die and on the third day raise again. And Peter says, oh, no, 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 no. That's wrong, Jesus. You are the Messiah. The Messiah does not suffer. The Messiah does not die. 
That is not what the Messiah is. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You are messing with God's plan. And we have a little hint of that here. What should I say? Jesus says, no, this is why I came. Almost back to the temptation. Luke and Matthew 4, when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, Jesus takes him up on the hillside and said, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. Just fall and worship me. You have to do the rest of this mess, the rest of this life. All of that hardship you're going to have to go through. You have this, this cross business. Come on, the devil says. You just worship me and I will give it to all of you. And you can do what you want. You snap your fingers and they will all worship and follow. You don't have to do any of the rest of this. It is done. Of course, Jesus says, no. There's this, just this fleeting moment where Jesus says, what am I supposed to do? Say, no, this is why I'm here. It's getting ready to happen. So my soul is troubled and says, now the judgment of this world is here. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. So we get this little bit of Jesus's mission. We know what he's getting ready to go through. He probably does too. But then at the end, it says why he is here why he's getting ready to do what he's doing, and that is to draw all people to himself. He doesn't say, the well-groomed, I will draw to myself. He doesn't say, the financially well-off are those that I am targeting. He doesn't say, the believers of this or that. He doesn't make them recite the Apostles' Creed or recite Leviticus. But who couldn't? He said, I am here to bring all people to myself. All people. Wow. Again, as we did John 3, 16 and 17 last week, Christ came not to condemn the world, but that all would be saved through him. And he says it again here. I've come to bring all people to myself. Draw them to myself. I'm a frustrated artist in some ways. Well, in most ways. I see images and pictures and colors in my mind, but I can't draw, paint, or sketch to lick. So it sits up there. And what I see when I hear this passage, I see Christ, I see that drawing all people, almost all people, all creation, all being drawn to form the trunk of a tree. Christ is that tree that reaches out, bearing the fruit as he seeks to draw all people to him. Great preacher, what are we supposed to do? We are to be imitators of Christ as Paul tells us. It is our job to help those who do not know that they are loved, who do not know that they are children of God, and who are too covered up with some of the negative problems of the world to come to Christ. 
Sometimes it's the biggies, whether it's homelessness, poor education, health care, awful family situations. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes it may just be a conversation, an outstretched hand, a reminder to someone who is suffering that someone in this, as they may see it, big bad world cares for them. And we are to remind them that that is Jesus Christ. And that's hard. It's hard. It's not just about doing the right thing. We're not on Santa's naughty and nice list. We're not getting our book checked off when we go and serve. We are going to try to help Christ draw people to himself through each one of us. Each of us has a corner of the world where we are called. We have gifts that we are given. And we are called to use them to help bring, draw others together. Our world is not about winning and losing. It's very easy for us at times to maybe see somebody on the street or in a different situation and say, whoop, life's losers. Look at us who may be more comfortable financially and say, whoop, we are the winners. It's not about any of that. It is about that bearing fruit that Christ says. It is about drawing others to him through you and me and all of those who profess faith in this world. Sometimes that means changing your life. There's a guy who's a friend of mine that I worked with two churches ago. He worked with me in youth ministry. I'll change his name. Let's call him Jesse. Jesse was smart, still is. He's a good-looking guy, faithful. But if you look at his life, you could see him on kind of an alternative path. He didn't go the traditional route of courting, family, house, so on. Jesse decided that his life would be more focused on those who are in need. And that phrase that you will give up your life to gain it, that we hear again and again, that was a traditional life given. And you would never know where Jesse is at any given time. I'll get an email every once in a while from Africa or some other country where he was working always to serve and help others. Gave up the normal life of win and lose and how we get there to the finish line. But he knew what was important. And he has a sister and another brother. And they too are faithful people that have given their lives in non-traditional ways because they have seen the importance of this life. They accepted their calling to help others, and we are being called in similar ways to do the same. Now, we may not be called 
to stop what we're doing and go to other countries, but we're definitely being called to lift up what is important about this life. The author Philip Yancey, author, writes books, theologian. He said that when he was a newspaper reporter, he would interview celebrities, athletes, stars of all varieties, and he was also able to interview servants who have given their life to care for others. And he fully expected his time with the celebrities and all of those that we lift up as those to worship, as being more on the shallow side. And what he found was right. He said, those people that we lift up and worship in this country are as messed up as anybody else, and in many ways more so. They can be addicted to the limelight. They can sell out who they are simply for the next role, for the next contract, what have you. But what he said about the servants was that he fully expected them to have a richer and fuller life, which he said they did, but he didn't expect to envy them. And that envy came from his perception of their understanding of the peace of Christ in their hearts and in their lives. He could certainly see the fruit of their ministries as he traveled around to see what they have done. But he envied their sense of purpose, faith, and joy. And friends, that's what we are being called to as we walk in this Lenten journey. We are about drawing others to Christ. We are about engaging oppressive structures that keep others from knowing, hearing, or believing that Christ is real and Christ is calling them to himself. We do band-aids in church easy, and we need to continue to feed the hungry, to help those in ways that we can kind of zip in and zip out. That is very important. Please hear that. But what we also need to change are those bigger structures for why those things exist in the first place. We can do that. It is the way I believe Christ is drawing us to him. As we can reach out and help others, we too are drawing closer to Christ. So again, in that image in my mind, which you can't see, we are all being drawn to the base of this cross to form this tree that then bears this amazing Jesus fruit of grace and love and hope. Gosh, what a life we've been given. What significant tasks Christ has put in front of us. But we're not meant to do this alone, nor are we. We have the gift of one another. We have the gift of our faith communities. And we walk together, not alone. And so as we seek to walk with Christ toward the cross again this year, let us see and respond to what Jesus said. That is, you are that grain that needs to grow. Maybe you need to adjust your life some. 
Maybe we need to be more responsive to those whom Christ has put in our way that we can help draw toward Christ, and in doing so, we get ever closer to Christ. I couldn't reach that envelope because I was trying to do it myself. But friends, we don't have to. We are meant to climb and to reach that goal together. And we too will raise with Christ as we raise up one another in joy and light and faith to see that this world means something to us and especially to them out there. Not about winning or losing, but the way that we draw others to Christ. Hallelujah. Amen.